Hello, I am Dr. Raz from Scowl Fight for Your Rights. Are you looking to conquer the world, but help people while you do it? May I present the solution to all of your problems? The Potaser! Yes, the Potaser is my own personal invention for conquering the world with easy home-based electric goods. For just one complicated payment of two medium payments of three easy payments of 1999, you can donate through Fractured Atlas to Scowl, Ladermageddon, and get your own, very own, very, very own Potaser to Conquering the World. All donations that you make through Fractured Atlas are tax deductible. So if you are sick of dodging your taxes, you can just deduct them instead. Once again, you can buy the Potaser for one complicated payment of two medium payments of three easy payments of 1999. And help Scowl, Leathermageddon, become reality! Please be advised for your own personal safety. Please do not buy the Potaser. Simply donate through Fractured Atlas. Do not, I repeat, do not buy the Potaser. The Potaser is not meant to be cooked, eaten, consumed in any way, shape, or form. It is not meant to be utilized in any way whatsoever and cannot be verified as safe by any American administration. Please, please, please do not buy the Potaser. Simply send any donations through Fractured Atlas to Scowl, Laddermageddon. Is It Transphobic will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, my name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I'm the creator and producer of the Is It Transphobic podcast. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, and today I'm being joined by... Silas Barrett, and I use he, him pronouns. So, as I am probably going to keep that in the intro, uh, I will be eating some turkey as we talk, so I apologize, or maybe you're welcome for the free ASMR. Um... <laughs> uh, but today we're going to talk about Marvel movies, specifically the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, where, why are we talking about this? Well, it's because there are a number of folks who are in the MCU who are trans. Um, and it's amazing, it's wonderful. But the real, real, real reason we're talking about it is because each one of them, in one way or another, was... Uh, stated as the first trans person in the MCU. And we kind of want to talk about this culture of firsts. But first, (laughs) we want to talk about uh, the... We really want to celebrate the people who are in it. We really want to celebrate this idea of uh, trans people in the MCU and what that means. Uh, Again, you might hear some Sounds of the City. We are waiting on a couple of cables that I bought for Black Friday. So, Sounds of the City, me eating turkey, Silas touching the microphone, boom. Silas, talk to me about some of the trans representation in the MCU. Yay! Trans people are in existence. Um, (laughs) I think one of the big things for me is just, and especially um, I noticed this with uh, in Jessica Jones, we have the character of Jillian, and then... There's Zach Brock's character in Spider-Man Homecoming, whose name I can't remember the name of the character. But um, I remember specifically when both of those characters um, happened, 
you know, the, the news made a big thing. They announced it, all this stuff, but the, <laughs> the shows themselves don't make a big deal about it. There's, there's mm. not some kind of trans subplot for Jessica Jones' assistant, Jillian. You know, they don't, like, mm. out these characters or be like, see, trans people within the media itself, yeah. which I found incredibly refreshing mm -hmm. because we always have this thing where we're, we're pushing towards a little bit more representation now. We're starting to talk about the fact that trans people should tell trans stories and, and, mm -hmm. and they should be included but we still kind of have this tokenism even in really good work i think a lot of times where it's like the main part of your identity is that you are trans mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that i've never felt that way but it's not the main part of my identity like we're all people who happen to be trans and that informs who we are but it's it's not our main existence so that's one thing yeah. that i'm enjoying in the way that the um the mcu is starting to bring in trans characters just be like oh yeah like we cast a trans actor so their character's trans too it's fine yeah and and i think that there is this because there's a a a thing that happens with a lot of these discussions about representation where the intent is like oh well we're going to show them as a normal person and so that translates to we're not going to talk about their transness and now don't get me wrong having a trans person portray a character that is either written initially as a cis character or the idea that like it wasn't even it never even came up mm. is fantastic but there are things about writing a trans character that can be inherently trans and can have a much more interesting subplot a much more interesting internal thing like a much more interesting internal story beat because this character is trans this character has experienced a number of different things. Um, so I'm trying to find the exact character, but the first one that we know about, and again, the other thing that we want to discuss is the idea that these are people who are openly trans actors. The reason that I bring that up is because there may be a number of people who are in the industry who are in specifically who have been featured in the MCU who are not openly trans and that is fine. That is valid. That is you. Maybe it's someone who is still figuring things out. That's fine. And that's totally awesome as well. But we are looking for open representation because we need to see ourselves on screen and we need to see ourselves publicly. And so respect if you don't want to be public, but at the same time, this is sort of what we're looking for for this. <laughs> mm. uh, the other big thing is they have to have lines. Uh, so it's amazing. I know of a lot of people that do background work and they're wonderful people. But like at the same time, it's also great to see them. But what moves them from being just something in the background to being something that we're actually looking at is have they been able to say anything? <laughs> yes. Uh, and particularly MJ Rodriguez. Um who I've just right this second completely said their name wrong, MJ Rodriguez. Um, she was in Luke Cage in season, I believe it was season one. Um, she was, she, her 2016 appearance in the non-speaking role of Sister Boy on Luke Cage, uh, which admittedly, I know that we just said we're looking for specifically speaking roles, but it was her and Maharsala Ali just in a room together talking. And it was, again, like, it, it was just like such a, cool thing to see but also like great so we're seeing a little bit more mm -hmm. of like this world is very well lived in this world is very so yeah 
Like, do you remember seeing MJ in the show? Is that like, yes. did that leave an impact? Yes, mm-hmm. I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically because um, there is a moment of transphobia. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Mama Mabel is like, not there for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was sort of like the thing that sort of like made it sort of stand out, even though it's technically not a speaking role. Yeah. Like the role is more important than like background characters that don't necessarily have a, a specific effect on the plot or what the main characters are doing or saying. Yeah. Um, and so that I, I, I definitely was really struck by. Yeah. No. And, and especially just like you say, like the whole point is like, it's tough because, again, like, we're talking about, like, immediate, but, like, having the first. Mm. And we'll get to all the politics of, quote-unquote, the first. But, like, having someone there and having it be very unquestionably, this character is trans. And having someone vocally defend that character mm. is a major thing. It's huge. Yeah. So, like, why, why in the MCU is that huge? Why is that major? Like, something like that. Having both positive trans representation as well as trans representation just in general. Well, one of the things that I always think about, and, you know, there's so much politics behind the scenes in Marvel Cinematic Universe because of what they are or aren't allowed to do by those who hold the copyrights to the characters. For example, when they let them have Mm Spider-Man, the rule was he has to be white he has to be straight. Like there were all these sort of very cons- like constraints on, you know, not reinventing the character in other ways. Mm. And one always wonders when you start to see hints of things in stuff. And, and I think it's not surprising that we see it more in the television shows than in big Hollywood blockbusters. They have a little bit yeah. more freedom. But you always see these little bits of things. And I always think, what are the what would the artists do if they weren't constrained? Like, how mm. much more would they like to put in there? So it always feels to me, it makes me feel like the community is seen by, you know, and even, like, if, I, if the constraints weren't there and I was like, oh, you just sort of snuck this trans character in, that's great, I guess, but also it feels a little token-y. But I tend to, I tend to give a little bit more benefit because I wonder if, the creators on these shows aren't occasionally going, I really wish we could reinvent one of these known characters and give them, you mm. know, to other people and that sort of thing. Like, and even, even in the comics industry outside of the film adaptations of comics, that's why a lot of these, like Steve Rogers is never going to be anything but a blonde white man. Yep. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I love Steve Rogers, Yeah, but that's why like Falcon became Captain America mm-hmm. because Captain America is a title as opposed to, mm-hmm. A specific man even though there are some that would argue it's always steve rogers <laughs> but because that's and it's also tough because especially the way films are made and especially the way big budget films and luke cage was specifically the third series as part of the netflix marvel yes uh co-production and so it took a couple of series before we started seeing trans representation uh, not only that, a number of movies had already come out. There have been mm. no real major queer characters on those movies. No. There have been some that they've hinted. 
there have been things that they have sort of they haven't necessarily gone into the queer baiting territory we talk a little bit about that in the do south episode um but at the same time they really have only had explicitly straight relationships in the mcu to the best of my recollection so when we see mj in there and again like mj is there present and being defended it just it feels great it feels like Mm -hmm. okay we're starting to see this we're starting to see that even though this is on netflix even though it's not a major film it's still Mm -hmm. got the marvel name to it luke cage is a major brand and seeing people who live in the world who are normal people is kind of great yeah and and even more Mm -hmm. so i think for luke cage which is taking that sort of very cool but also very black exploitation character mm. and sort of taking the great bits and trying to be a little bit more honest and allowing people of color to actually work on the show and create the show rather than mm-hmm. just being sort of like in the comics which was always dominated by the white producers and that sort of thing too i think mm-hmm. you know and it's sort of in the same way like with spider-man too you have this sense of I think more than a lot of the other ones, this this idea of we're sort of recognizing the world that we live in now. And again, Peter mm-hmm. Parker will never be anything other than the classic Peter Parker that we know. Mm-hmm. But they surround him with a group of kids who are very diverse, who feel very real. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, I believe that this kid is a whatever uh, mm-hmm. 16-year-old or 15-year-old kid mm-hmm. today in 2019, um, which is it keeps things grounded in addition in addition to actually being more representative and not sort of the classic let's pretend everybody is straight and white yeah sis like this this feels more like because i remember watching like the sam raimi spider-man and just Mm. feeling like okay everybody is like aged up anyway because toby Maguire is not a teenager but like the the idea of like this doesn't feel like and i at the time i wasn't even living in new york but it was just like this doesn't feel like a new york high school like that they're yeah. in it just it does it, not at all no it's it's like mm-hmm. a, a imaginary like mm-hmm. magical new york which is like what makes the raimi film so interesting yeah because they came right before the sort of push towards realism mm-hmm. in superhero films mm-hmm. So you're just like, I don't know where this world is, but it's mm. not our world. Whereas like the MCU mm. tries very hard to be like, this world is maybe not our world, but it's very similar. And mm. The rules are the same and the general arc of history is the same. Sorry, I hit the mic. <laughs> it's okay. You're it welcome. I was gesturing very vehemently. Yeah. So, and, and even then, like we're talking a little bit about like the same Raimi Spider-Man and that was the first, I know X-Men was on the scene mm. and that really pushed people a little bit to be like, okay, maybe these can be something different. And then Sam Raimi Spider-Man really did push it that much further and became a blockbuster yeah. and became like, cause X-Men, X-Men had a solid viewing audience but Sam Raimi Spider-Man was the one that really pushed in a blockbuster so territory. Popular, yeah. Yeah. And so people were like, okay, like this is where the boom came from. And so to have that like not represented, but now having apologies, um, now having all of that, like now having these already set up and moving forward, uh, having the MCU, and the people in New York feeling like they're actually in New York is great. So now that we've sort of uh, talked about these, like we've talked about why 
Because the Netflix shows are a little bit different. The Netflix shows are great, but at the same time, you have to have an audience that is specifically coming to them for a binge, like for a binge yes. watch, as opposed to a movie where you can show up and have fun and there it is. Um, and yeah, okay, maybe that was a waste of 90 minutes. Maybe it was a thrilling 90 minutes that I enjoyed, but it was just 90 minutes. Um, a Netflix show is a little bit of an investment. So you can take a couple of what I would say, like calculated risks. And I hate to say that putting trans people in a piece is a risk, but at the same time, when you're looking at the global media consuming network and a lot of people around the globe are against queer things in general, yep, it's, it is a risk. Yeah. And it is, I mean like television <clears throat> sort of historically, but also right now it's a very clear, like, Hollywood doesn't take risks. Yeah. They don't even want to come up with original ideas anymore. They're like, can we just remake the same movies over and over again? Mm -hmm. All superhero films and all action films have the same beats. It's very formulaic. Mm -hmm. And TV, on the other hand, we're getting all of this new stuff. And we're getting new, like, cartoons, too, that yeah. are really trying to push the envelope. And so, like, the renaissance mm -hmm. of today's sort of media is very much more in television. Everybody needs to watch She-Ra. Shira and the Dragon Prince. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anyway, uh, back off of our tangent and back <laughs> to the second person that we are aware of who is an out trans person who is featured heavily on uh, on a MCU property is uh, Shakina Nafok, who was in season two of Jessica Jones, and she portrayed a uh, pawn shop broker who essentially. Um, it was great. She, you know, she just had like a couple of lines and she was there for sort of like, she was, uh, I forget the exact reason that Jessica needed to, or no, it wasn't Jessica. It was um, Trinity. Can't think of her name in the show, but the person that played Trinity mm. on the Matrix um, was pawning something. Yes. I'm trying to remember too. I was going to mm -hmm. go back and check these episodes. I don't remember that episode very well. Yeah. Unfortunately. So while we're getting our facts straight about the MCU, I can tell you that Shakina Nafok is a fantastic performer. Uh, she recently came back through with a show called Manifest Pussy, which is all about her, both the apprehension and worries that she had about going in for uh, gender confirmation surgery, um, as well as uh, afterwards she created a whole other piece that she put into Manifest Pussy that was just the euphoria and the gender euphoria she had about it and uh, the, the issues that had arisen. And she is just, like, amazing. You can see her on the <laughs> musicali finale of Transparent, um, and she's just so good. Um, yeah, so she plays the character of Frankie. Yeah, like it's and again, like it's a really quick thing, but she's there and she's part of New York and she's someone that you see and it's not that trans people only exist in New York, it's just they only exist in New York in the MCU at the moment <laughs> I'm I'm starting to put together. Um because if we look at that cuz the next one that's in the list is uh, Anish Sheth who is um yes. who has a much larger part. Like so we we've been progressing. Uh MJ Rodriguez didn't have any lines but was a critical part of character in Jessica Jones or in Luke Cage. Then Shakina Nafok got a couple of lines in Jessica Jones season two, season three. We've got a whole recurring character who kind of steals the season. <laughs> I didn't enjoy the season very much. Mm -hmm. I was basically just there for her. Yeah. Was like, like, Oh, this like whole plot mm -hmm. about a serial killer. And I don't care. Ugh. Yeah, it was, it was fine. And... The moments, 
I liked a lot of the ideas in the season. Mm. I just thought, honestly, it's so tough after after Purple Man. Where do you go? Like, no matter what, even season two, I wasn't really in love with. But it was just like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna stick it out because I yeah. like the characters. And yep, you're gonna find all the reasons you can to bring David Tennant back in. But like, legit, I was there very much for Anisha's portrayal of it was Jillian, right? Jillian, yeah. yes. Um, I just, I loved her. Like, she was great. Like, the character was great. She was portrayed great. It was that whole, like, she fit really well with the Jessica Jones aesthetic of kind of, like, I'm here. You're paying my bills. I really don't care. Yes. (laughs) Well, I and I really love that because it made her character, like, stand up to Jessica in a way that's very necessary. And especially coming on the heels of, because, of course, she's a trans woman of color. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm was a man of color. Mm -hmm. And one of the problematic aspects of their of Jessica's relationship to Malcolm was her sort of exploitation of his loyalty and his time, which like the show is doing on purpose. Like they're discussing that and it's very much a Mm -hmm. theme about this push and pull and it's why their relationship falls apart. But it was so lovely to have this character show up and be like, yep, um, I'm going to do my job and you're not going to push me around and then I'm going to punch out and I'm going to go because I'm not here to clean up your mess, yeah. which is, you know, sort of the, the story of Jessica Jones of who cleans up her messes for her. Yeah. Which makes her a great character, too. But it is one of those things where, like, you you wouldn't have wanted. A, I don't I think a, uh, I think that's the only dynamic that really works. Yeah. For somebody filling that role for Jessica. Yeah. And she just like, uh I loved watching her in it and it was just it was great and it was great to see and uh, a lot of media and again like a lot of media started saying like oh she's the first and it's like well she's the first that got a lot of consistent substance that we know of do you think people just don't notice I think part of it is that they don't notice part of it is like even like it's so I think part of it is that they don't notice part of it is because the media didn't make like a huge thing out of it Mm. and part of it is because like, and even we can't even say that it's not because they're like, oh, we're not saying that they're trans because it's like, you know, you look at uh, MJ's character mm-hmm. and it's like, well, yeah, that I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, it's I don't know, because I think going into the next one where we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes. That was a major motion picture. Mm-hmm. That was a worldwide box office boodly bop i don't know i'm just making up words yeah like it was it was a major (laughs) it was a major movie yeah not only was it marvel and mcu it was specifically the (laughs) the uh uh this like marvel sony joint venture yes and so i think a lot of people who weren't watching these netflix shows were now seeing like oh well there's a trans person in a marvel movie who has lines and so they were saying, oh, he's the first in the MCU. And it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. Hang we re- on a second. lot of people don't remember that there are TV shows. Yeah. And when they say MCU, they really are only mm-hmm. talking about the movies because that's all they've cared about or thought about, which mm-hmm. I think is part of this problem mm-hmm. of like the first. Mm-hmm. When you're like, well, yeah, the first in the movies. Sure. Yeah. But you, you didn't watch I mean, a lot of people watched Homecoming who didn't watch Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. Yeah. 
And uh, and just to be clear, uh, Zach Barak, who is the person that we're talking about, the the trans man in Spider-Man Homecoming, um, he it's not even like he was like, I'm the first, I'm the first. It's just like, and you know, like respect to him. Yeah, he's great. I'm glad to see him on mm-hmm. a major motion picture. Absolutely. Um, but it is one of those things where what we're going to do is we're going to hear an advertisement because we Yay. have ads now. Uh, we're going to hear an advertisement. We're going to talk a little bit about this culture of the firsts. Awesome. And what it means. I'm ready. Me eating turkey that's falling apart is going to be the MCU post credits of this. Yes. <laughs> of this episode. Silently scrolling our mm-hmm. phones, looking mm-hmm. for information, and you eating turkey. Yeah. Welcome back. So, Silas, we were talking about this idea of the firsts. Yes. Why do we end? There's no way of completely knowing. We started sort of talking about this. This idea that maybe. Part of the reason people are, are talking about like first, 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 and d- d- just straight up being wrong is that the Marvel Netflix shows, um, they were a little harder for people to get into than a two hour movie. Um, they had a less of an audience built in. Yeah. What are some other reasons why it might be? Why is it? Let's start this way. Why is it important to have a first? And again, we sort of started talking about that, but let's be explicit. Why is it important to have a first? I mean, I feel like that answer depends on who's saying. Mm. I think for me, and um, again, aside from the point of there were other characters in the TV shows before Spider-Man Homecoming happened, one of the things that really bothered me about the news um, was... There were queer, um, you know, magazines and and news sources covering this, and they kind of did their own thing. But for the mainstream news, Mm. it always comes back to the same thing for me, which is this idea of tokenism and Mm. this idea of we've hit a point now where queerness has sort of been absorbed into the rainbow capitalism, where people are really excited to say trans character, gay things, buy our rainbow stuff when it benefits them but don't really want to do any meaningful work for you know the community outside of getting our money for the ticket sales Mm. so and 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 it may be a little bit you know of a perspective that i've been in lately and as as i mentioned i remember reading about the deal when they decided to do to allow peter parker to be in the mcu even though he belongs part of the sony and the whole rules about how Peter could never be gay. Mm-hmm. He could never be anything but white. He could never, he has to be cis, like all these sort of rules left, you know, of course a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, Spider-Man was my first superhero and I've always, mm-hmm. you know, held him very close to my heart. And there is a large community of trans men who like to say that Peter Parker is a little trans boy, uh, which I won't <laughs> get into, yeah. uh, but it works but well. Head cannon. Head cannon. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker is a little trans boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I was very much like, again, not for 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 the actor, for for Zach, of course, it's great. And and he's had good things to say about and he hasn't claimed, you know, a lot of he just wants to talk about representation and Mm -hmm. getting to work on the show. And he's wonderful. But as far as the mainstream news coverage, I was just like the first it's just like this big, you know, shiny metal that we can put on to, you know, get more money from queer people and get attention. Mm. But how much are we really doing? And I, I, what I did find interesting about it is 
again, I ask that question of like, do people notice when these characters are trans? I wonder yeah. how many of your average cis audience realized that there were there was a trans character in in the movie. Yeah, if they because I, I always assume everybody knows, but a lot of people don't read the news about these mm-hmm. stories. Um, and so like I kind of went back and forth on what what the kind of push was to point out. I did notice the one good thing I noticed was traditionally when these things happen, you know, whenever there's a, a, a an openly trans person in anything and they go, oh, the first, they will say the first trans person. And then we all go, you mean the first openly trans person because trans people have been there forever. You just didn't know about it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I did notice that the media always mm. said first openly trans actor in the MCU. Again, mm. forgetting about the Netflix things, <laughs> but mm-hmm. at least acknowledging that. And I was yeah. like, that's a step in the right direction, I suppose. Because I will say, even with uh, with Disney+, Plus, it's going to be very interesting to see how they treat these Marvel Netflix as whether they're still canon. Well, and that I scares me. I think they're going to do Daredevil again. Yeah. I hear, I hear they're going to do Daredevil again. There is a... So this is hypothetical spoiler territory i have heard and again like who knows if this is true it's all speculation it's all rumors but supposedly they've been in talk with i can't remember his name but the guy that played daredevil on the netflix charlie cox yes charlie cox to potentially come and be peter's lawyer in the next spider-man movie if that's moving forward it sounds like it's actually moving forward now Mm. like i hear that they have you know like they were their their contracts if you don't know anything about that that's a whole thing it was just it was all publicity stuff they were like oh no so they think of like yeah disney could pressure sony into mm -hmm. taking less money because because they're disney's a monster but that's neither here nor there right um but at the same time, like, which if they do, if they basically confirm, hey, Charlie Cox exists in the MCU and he's Daredevil, it's like, okay, that means that the Marvel Netflix stuff mm-hmm. actually exists still. I'm actually really curious about that because the Netflix shows definitely sort of acknowledge the existence of the larger superhero world. Yeah. And yet don't. And it very mm-hmm. much feels, I mean, like from a comics vernacular, it feels like we're in a similar universe, but maybe not the same universe as the characters that we know from the movies. Yeah. And it's hard to like make these, like there's definitely not a lot of crossover as on let's make sure these things all make logical sense together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would really change a lot. But I suspect that what they will do is keep Charlie Cox because he was so popular yeah. And redo the Daredevil story again, fresh. Mm. Um, Which would be interesting. I've never actually seen, to the best of my knowledge, a, a series where they literally do a reboot, but they keep the actor from the the preboot. I, I know, guess. right? <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Um, you know, and I could see them doing it with other characters mm. that they liked. Um, yeah. And other actors, just because I know it's the, got the built-in mm-hmm. fandom already. Like people will follow mm. Charlie Cox. Yeah, because I I am admittedly like the and again we will get back to my initial question, which is um, why is the first important? Mm. But I also want to say it's it's tough because Mahershala Ali has been confirmed as Blade officially. Yes, and which props to him because yeah. he went and got that. He was like, "You are yeah. going to give me this, and I'm going to do yeah. it." But that's why I think. They're going to, Disney is going to, they're doing it with the Loki show, right? Um, They're doing the Loki show. And the point is going to be, if you haven't seen the Loki show, you won't understand Thor Love and Thunder when it comes out. 
So the reason they're going to redo everything is so that Mm. they can force you to have to buy Disney Plus, to have to see the TV shows in order Mm -hmm. to understand the movie. So it's exactly the problem that you were talking about with Netflix, Mm -hmm. which you didn't have to commit to those if you didn't want to. And now you're going to have to, which is why I think they're not going to keep the Netflix shows canon. Yeah. Uh, which but I am makes really excited so mad. But yeah. Though. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, like all, all of these it's that's like it's like I'm talking to wrestling fans, honestly. It's it this really like is. oh all of this is bad, but God I can't wait. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, that's exactly yeah. what it's like. So now that we've gone on enough tangents, um <gasps> I will say like things. I think part of the reason that people get excited for firsts and yes, like I think you're absolutely right, especially with like media coverage, mm. the idea of the first. Oh my gosh. Like yeah, we can capitalize on this whole like because there is a certain like my eyeballs want to go to the first thing Mm. like people care about buzz aldrin (laughs) people do they love buzz aldrin but he wasn't the first man on the moon no (laughs) but and i think that that's like a thing people remember like oh the first and they kind of remember buzz initially as a joke and Mm. as like oh to be the second man it's just like that's pretty friggin awesome like he was the second guy on the moon right great yeah it's I'm, the moon. If you went to the moon at all, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, like if you're on the, if you're in the MCU and you're getting a Marvel paycheck and you're trans, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, be the fifth, be the twelfth. That's right. amazing. And you could not have to like mm-hmm. pass or be mm-hmm. stealth in order to do it. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. huge thing. Just the fact that mm-hmm. these companies would be like, yes, we're fine with everyone knowing that we knew that this was a trans person. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a big mm-hmm. deal. But yeah, like, and, and the fact that it has taken so long, which is why having the first is a big deal and it sounds like a good thing and it is a good thing. But at the same time, we can't kind of forget that like it's taken a long time for this to happen. I mean, that's and, like, really yeah. my thing. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. when you get into the first, it sounds like brave new world full of trans people. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know that I want to. I feel like casting trans people in your everything is a baseline of just what you should do yeah so i'm very reticent to give a lot of you know when you talk about like the first openly trans person to you know win a medal in a certain sport or Mm -hmm. to you know be awarded or to do these achievements like climbing mount everest or whatever it is like then it becomes about this person's personal achievement and Mm -hmm. also acknowledging that a trans person is doing this and that a trans person is able to do this and also be open about their trans status Mm -hmm. but when it comes to a corporation doing something when it comes to you know big art not like Mm. you know smaller indie stuff but the big stuff i'm always kind of like i don't think you deserve props for just doing what you should have been doing this whole time anyway yeah so i always feel a little bit jaded and a little bit uncomfortable when people want to get on this idea of the first, you know, openly trans actor in the MCU. And especially Mm. because, like, I think it's, I mean, I said before, it's like, it's great that they don't have to be like, and now my story is about being trans. Like, I'm just a person like anyone else in this thing. But at the same time, then I'm like, how much of a big risk is it to put this character in this small role? And I wonder how many cis people who just walked into that theater not knowing much even noticed or cared. And Mm -hmm. so then, like, this sort of suggestion of, like, we're being really brave. And I'm like, are you though? Or did you just realize that society got to a point where you could get away with it and you didn't have to worry about 
getting yelled at by people. I mean, I think that making like I think the the choice with MJ was much bolder and more like not thinking about box office numbers because the fanboys were so mad. You know, mm-hmm. MJ always has to be a redhead. Like, mm. how could you make her? Oh, I thought you were color? talking about MJ Rodriguez. Hold on. Oh, nope. I'm, I'm with sorry. you now. Nope. Yep. No, that's really confusing. I was talking yeah. about MJ Mary Jane from Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Who traditionally has been a red haired mm-hmm. girl and comics fanboys, like all of the main greatest mm-hmm hits in the female characters are all redheads it's like this weird thing Mm -hmm. like no one got mad when they cast charlie cox even though matt murdoch was supposed to be a redhead Mm. but it was a big deal when Mm. they were like no we're gonna make mary jane a person of color Mm -hmm. and that actually had people threatening not to go to the movie and stuff like Mm -hmm. that whereas like i didn't hear a lot of people being upset about having Mm -hmm. zach brack in the movie so again i feel like People are looking for a lot of accolades mm-hmm. for things that they want mm-hmm. us to think that they're doing amazing stuff when really mm-hmm. they're not. Well, and I, I think that there's also another conversation about um, iconic characters, regardless of mm. what that means and what makes them iconic. Because I think that what people look at from the MJ character from Mary Jane is like they visually immediately see like the redhead. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, she's a whole character. Like, she's a whole person. Yeah. And so much of what I think, I think if they had had her, because again, like, we're talking spoilers for this, um, for this movie that's been out for a while, um, what they made her, because they, they didn't even have her say that she's MJ until, like, I think it was a post credit scene, or, like, it was, like, the very last moment. And so it was almost like a big reveal that this was MJ. This was Mary Jane. And it's it's interesting, especially where we talk about how there's like no wiggle room. Spider-Man, Peter Parker has to be white, cis, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But they kind of gave this wiggle room because Mary Jane, A, is changing with times and like, yeah, why can't Peter Parker be in a relationship with someone who's not fucking white? Yeah. Uh, but also this idea that mj versus mary jane like i wonder if she had just said my name is mary jane as opposed to like i'm mj right like yeah i don't know like it's just we're we're just kind of waxing poetic at that point but it's still (laughs) like but it is it is an interesting sort of thing to to consider is this idea of like they're saying these certain things are untouchable what makes it why yeah how can we like where is that point that it is now no longer untouchable and it's it's taken so long for the comics industry to get to that point mm-hmm. too that now we're able to look at this and say like yeah like okay well where's the the trans where's the trans point in that right. too there could definitely yeah. be some of these main characters could be reinvented into characters of color when they mm-hmm. were traditionally white or queer characters trans characters mm-hmm. and and that is uh, there's so much resistance to mm-hmm. that concept um in comparison to the like oh yeah like jessica jones could like meet a trans woman you know in a pawn shop mm. and again it's it's great for the actors it's great for the community but i don't know that it's impressive from the producer's side of it yeah mm-hmm. you know um like I do, mm. I do think that it is a start towards normalizing just casting trans actors and trans parts, and that's mm-hmm. amazing, phenomenal. Mm. But yeah, 
should should have should have been like that years ago. Yeah, forever. So. Uh. Well, and now now let's kind of talk about why is this a problem when people are mislabeled as the first. Yes. Like what? Let's 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 talk about that. Why why is that a problem to mislabel someone as the first? Well, I mean, unfortunately, one of the problems you run into is we had three trans women, and then we had a trans man mm-hmm. who got labeled as the first, and that can sort of smack of some trans misogyny, and you know, it, it's. It, not uncommon for things like that to happen. Mm. I don't know if it really just is because the movie is so much more, you know, visible, but I definitely, you know, noticed that. I definitely saw a lot of reactions of being like, are oh, you just going to erase all these trans women and these, you know, trans women of color? Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's this like nice white boy, which, which can, you know, I think that's a fair thing to comment on. So that can really be a problem too. And it's not the first time something like that has happened. Mm. Um, for sure. Yeah, I think the the other thing that it does is it sort of it it exactly like you say like a it erases a lot of the people that came before but also it sort of creates this weird like well was what I did or what they did not an accomplishment. Mm. And it sort of creates this idea of like was this memorable then because I was there. Right. I did this. I was in this property. What yeah. what happened? Like yeah, that like that mm-hmm. probably hurts a lot to see that in the news and be like, I just did this TV show. Is it already forgotten? Did anyone notice? I think also I notice this a lot when I you know talk to to cis people. Hmm. Whenever we go into this idea of the first trans person, yeah, that idea that trans is being trans is new, yeah is very difficult to unlink. Mm. You're like, yes, we are seeing people who are the first openly trans people because it, until very recently, literally was impossible to be openly trans and, you know, get these opportunities. Mm. But when I talk to cis people a lot, I still run into that same idea of sort of like, in this brave new world where trans people are people and do things and, like, exist, and you're like, we've, we've always been here. Like, just... Mm erased and forced to be invisible and stuff like that and i think i think the first can can tend into that direction when you have that conversation as well yeah yeah so let's figure this out then Mm -hmm. who is going to be who would be a really interesting character in the MCU? And now we're just sort of getting into Yay. a fun, fun like a fun, fan the fun exercises. part of this, fun fan exercise on is it transphobic? What character, and let's just say character that's already in the MCU or a new character hmm. uh, that they haven't introduced, who would be interesting to be portrayed by a trans person? Peter Parker. <laughs> I'm just going to start with the thing that I already said. Yeah. We can work into more imaginative yeah. things, but like, mm-hmm. it, and especially like after Spider-Man Homecoming came out, mm-hmm. there was this huge explosion in the, in the trans mass community of being like, Oh my God, Peter Parker is a trans boy. Like he's learning to tie a tie for the first time because the last time he went to a dance, he probably had to wear a dress. And like, there's, um, I personally also really relate to, you see it a lot in superheroes. There's like, the certain type of superhero that is a transformed into, you know, Mm. Peter Parker gets bit by a spider mutants, you know, in puberty suddenly exhibit their powers for the first time. And Steve Rogers goes into a machine and comes out 
big and strong and buff with the body he always wanted. And I'm like, well, if that isn't a trans allegory, I don't know what is. I'm sorry. Um, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you can't really like Steve Rogers is ultimately a very specific character from a specific time. And he kind of has to be a white descendant of Irish immigrants who fought yeah. Nazis. Like you can't really mm-hmm. reinvent that because it is about a very specific experience. Mm. But I'm like, anybody mm. could be i mean this sounds like a cop-out but i'm just like i no, don't but know i think it's like, an important i think it is an important thing is like literally and this is a thing that when i do a lot of these like sensitivity reads mm-hmm. or talk to people about uh like script writing and creating characters in media that are trans mm-hmm. it's like literally there are things that will be a different story and there are things that will only enhance the background of the character, mm. but God damn it, any character can pretty much be trans. Yes. There are very few things that will stop them from being trans. Yeah. Uh, that can, And it's just like, you can't, like it, there are so many things that work and create that very different, interesting background mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, this character is actually trans. It's like, oh. Yeah. And like, I want the same mm-hmm. thing for trans people that they're just kind of starting to do for female characters now which mm-hmm. is like let them <laughs> yeah, be flawed yeah. and let you know like jessica jones right yeah. like the idea of seeing mm-hmm. a, a hard drinking you know bitter pi like I, I mean uh, a friend of mine wrote mm-hmm. a fascinating article about urine in the first season of jessica jones and how like the, the, it's actually it's, it's weird to think about but they're like very specific about like when they show characters peeing and oh. like urine in the streets and things mm. like that and like Jessica Jones like you see her sit on the toilet and mm. like I think one of the first episodes of the first season maybe not the first but early on she's like on her phone texting and going to the bathroom and then she looks over and there's no toilet paper and like things oh. like that like they don't make mm-hmm. like you don't see female characters like that mm. and that's the thing I want like for trans characters too like we talked about not having it just be about them being trans and their main journey as a character is their trans identity but also the idea of you know trans villains and you know complicated like tony stark is a trans man with all the problems that tony stark has as a person with Mm. patriarchy would be fascinating like um you know they did vision Mm. and they gave it the character because it comes out of jarvis and um sorry i'm drawing a blank paul bettany paul bettany Mm -hmm. does a character so they made paul bettany vision and I was like, here is a perfect opportunity for gender queerness. It's mm. not even a human. And you're like, but I he will. sounded like a man, so we're going to make him look yeah. like a man. And then we're going to mm-hmm. make him look like an older man who dates mm. a very much younger woman. And mm. it's just what... Mm. Yeah. I will I will say that um, there is a whole other discussion to be had about the idea of genderqueer and non-binary people mm. only portraying robots and That's fairies true. and... But- demons and don't get me wrong i'm writing a, a no. non-binary demon character now oh, in a thing but yeah, yeah like no, you're, you're absolutely right <laughs> yeah. they need to be non-binary humans as well yeah, yeah it just always strikes me well mm-hmm. first of all because half of the non-binary people i know are like identify as aliens or robots or whatever yeah so par- partially i'm always looking at that but also <laughs> mm. the constraints of 
not only do we put these constraints of binariness onto our human characters, but then we go so far as to put them onto our non-human characters as well. (laughs) And you're just like, why? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know why. (laughs) It's a rhetorical question, but why? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I'd love to see them bring in, you know, Loki's comically Mm -hmm. canonical gender fluidity yeah you know which is already confirmed in the comments mm-hmm. so they really i would love to see them do something interesting with that mm-hmm. i don't know that they will and just on that note i love you all but bb8 is a girl nerds <gasps> yeah. sorry i'm mixing my disney-based nerd that's okay it's all yeah. it's all disney and i'm also and blowing people's minds no there was like make, a whole thing you know they own everything like, we could mm-hmm. have a marvel uh, star wars yep. crossover yeah no, but there was like a whole thing about yeah. like BB-8 being like, no, it's a boy, no, it's a girl. It's just like it's literally a, it's a toaster on wheels. Yeah, just like I, I don't. Well, yeah. the Star Wars, the Star Wars universe, not to they get really have, tangential, yeah. but I did open up that can of Five percent of mm-hmm. their droid characters are said to be male, and it makes no <laughs> sense. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, mm-hmm. they bring out a, a female character. Yeah, um, but it's 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 weird. Mm. There was a there was a really good and like again we're going on tangents now I think we're about to wrap up. Um, there was Us? a really tangents. Yeah, Never. there was a, a really good video I just watched on YouTube. Um, it was basically why does Bun why doesn't Bugs Bunny wear pants? <laughs> and it's actually like a really good analysis on um, the idea of woman as a secondary characteristic in the creation of cartoons interesting and so it's like this idea of like oh okay well this is an animal this animal like sometimes they'll lose their fur sometimes they'll lose their feathers and when they do that they act almost like oh i've I've lost my clothing and so it's like this idea of like implied clothing on Mm. someone like bugs bunny or foghorn leghorn but then when they introduced lola bunny she was wearing like skimpy basketball attire it was like well, wait, isn't her clothing... And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this two-seed naked Lola bunny. It's just <laughs> like, wait, if that's mm. what it is for bugs, why isn't it for Lola? And it's just like, huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like kind of how they like put boobs on non-mammalian alien characters. Yes. Like a lizard Hi, lady duck. somehow has boobs. Or just the <laughs> other... Skyrim. Just yesterday, yeah. I was watching an episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah. And it was... Uh, it took place on um, Admiral, Admiral Akbar's species, mm-hmm. the Mon Calamari, on their planet. So it's yeah. all underwater. Mm-hmm. And there's just like this one senator lady... They're, they're squid people. I hit the thing again because I'm so. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm like watching it with my partner, and Emily's just like, "Why does she have boobs?" <laughs> and it looks so weird because partially because there's like no mm-hmm. other female characters, yeah. like, or like coded female mm-hmm. characters, you know, amongst this species. Mm-hmm. It's like just the one. But you're like just looking at it, and it's so glaring and strange. Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot, you know, like people always used to like like to make the joke, like oh, yeah. I had to put boobs on it because it made like mm-hmm. the straights uncomfortable or the cishet mm-hmm. well, uncomfortable, and it's so yeah, weird. like a picture of the the skeletons. I don't know if you see it. There's like a skeleton. Yes, like the it's... cuddling skeletons. Yes. And one literally has like bone bra breasts, <laughs> and you're just like. Better make sure we know these skeletons aren't gay or whatever. <laughs> it's so weird. Okay, so we've gone on a huge tangent. You're I welcome do. For a I tangent. I hope that you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> this discussion necessary isn't necessarily going to 
hit the rubric that we normally do the is it mm. enjoyable or is it transphobic so let's try and find a way to to work it yeah. um let's start with is it transphobic has the portrayal of trans characters in the mcu so far been transphobic i think a little bit yeah i mean i think again i, I my one of my categories for being non-transphobic is being trans inclusionary mm. And, like, this is a start, but I wouldn't really call, you know, a couple characters Mm. in smaller roles sort of hitting my bar for, like, good job. You, Mm. like, really were diverse and inclusionary about this. So in that Mm. respect, I'm like, yeah, it's a good start. Keep going. But Mm. that still feels a little transphobic to me. Um, Mm. Yeah, I I would say, because I agree with you on that, I think it's like, okay, like, well... I think the other thing is the first expl- like explicitly trans character in the MCU that we're introduced is a character named Sister Boy, which yeah. it's just like, I mean, there's like, we didn't even talk about that, but Who's at the same time. A sex worker. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which honestly, yeah, a lot of like, trans people and, you know, like pro, we're very tro- yeah. pro sex worker on this yeah. podcast. Absolutely. But at the same time, like it is a trope in media, mm-hmm. so we have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, so... It's just like, there it is. Um, so for me, I wish that there were more prior to Sister Boy so that we could be able to say that. But at the same time, MJ Rodriguez being in the MCU yes. and this is sort of tying into our whole idea of why is a first important? Because when there's one, it's easier to make the steps for two, mm-hmm. for three. Because you look at even the progression of it. MJ didn't have a lot of lines, if any lines. Then Shakina had a couple of lines. Then uh, Anish had an entire character that stayed throughout mm-hmm. the season and had multiple lines. Uh, and then it feels like it might be a little bit of a regression to have, um, I can uh, never Zach remember, Brack. Zach, to have Zach. Zach only have a couple of lines in Homecoming. But Zach was in a major motion picture. Yeah, that's a big deal. So, and got a lot of visibility yeah. to talk about mm-hmm. you know, his experience. And like I remember, too... Um, you know, they when when the interviews were done, and I think with most of them, like they they were all very good about like talking about like I was aware of the other people. I heard that they had good experiences and encouraged me, especially with the Netflix crowd. Yeah, you know, to talk about you know I heard that you know that this was a good group to work with, and that is so important. Just yeah. From, like, mm-hmm. When trans people go out and try to do these things, they're always putting themselves at more of a risk. Mm-hmm. And I, I will tell you, especially as someone who is very low-key working in the industry, <laughs> but, you know, like, I'm, I'm in there, and we talk. When there's a, a writer, when there's a producer, when there's a thing, we're a very small uh, mm. group of people, and we talk. And there will always be someone who will take the job. And, like, I have had to take some roles because... The money was good, and it's a thing where it's just like, but yeah, it is a thing where the reality is if you don't build up the resume, you don't get the parts. Mm -hmm. And so when people are saying, yeah, these are good people, yeah, this is a good production, yeah, this is a good experience, it really means something. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say on the whole... When we are there, generally speaking, it is not transphobic and we're actually being held up in a really good way. 
but it is kind of transphobic that it took us so long to get there and that mm. the first experience unfortunately is a lot of tropes that again were portrayed very well by the by mj by the actor um so is it enjoyable the mcu i mean i i could say I thought maybe you were going to ask me if the the concept of talking about the first was enjoyable. Ooh, let's go in that and direction. I think that that's interesting, partially because I think it's very subjective. Yeah. And I, for me personally, mm. I don't see anything that a headline or a conversation saying the first openly trans actor in blank part just saying there's a trans actor playing this role for me mm. that like using the, this concept of the first mm. in that context doesn't bring anything again like when we're talking about the achievement of a trans person outside of talking about what a company has done or what a, a group has granted to them so to speak not to say that they still haven't earned it right. but you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh like you know I think that that for me is sort of like i don't know mm. like why are we just talking the first like let's just mm. celebrate th- this as what it is without that qualification. Yeah. So for me, the, the this thing of the first isn't really that enjoyable, but I could definitely see how it would be for other people. Yeah. I, I would say that I find it more enjoyable because there's a second, a third and a fourth. Mm. Um, I almost feel like the first gives me a little anxiety. Like this yeah. idea of like, okay, great. Good. How's it going to be received? Are they going to follow it up? Like it, it yeah. gives me more, questions when i review this i'm gonna get yelled at yeah well even even just talking about it right now like this Mm -hmm. idea of like being critical in any way shape or form of something or being open to being critical is tough because people are not going to like that because you're criticizing a thing or you're talking about a thing or you're trying to do an in-depth conversation to try and find other points of it it's tough like so i would say did I find did I find our conversation about it enjoyable? Oh yes. Yes. Do same. I find the idea of needing a first, having a first, there being a first enjoyable? It's a mixed bag. I think it gives me more hope, but it also gives me more fear. But I am it's a fear that I'm happy about. So I don't know if that translates to joy, but it definitely mm. translates to a very good logical progression. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking forward to the hundredth yeah. openly trans character in the MCU, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I can't wait till it's not even a freaking thing. We can't even the count time, them. At the same time, it doesn't become not a freaking thing until yeah. it's a thing. So yeah. that's, that's so. what all of this does is it creates the thing yes. so that it can eventually be just another thing. Awesome. Uh, so tell people how to find you if you want them to find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as inland underscore sailor and uh, Facebook as Silas Barrett. And you can find my writings on tour.com, Silas K. Barrett. Awesome. You can find me at my website, ashleylaurenrogers.com. You can also find me on the internet on Twitter at Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, and then the number four. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at AshleyRogers83. And then you can also find the Is It Transphobic Twitter b- 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 account <laughs> is the word I'm going for at Is It Transphobic. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, and that's really helpful. Thank you so much to everyone who has been supporting. I know that I'm not very good at communicating with you, but if you mail me, if you send me a message and you're a patron, I do respond, and I do really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Also... 
at this point, we are going to be raising money for Scowl Laddermageddon. We are building up if you are not familiar with Scowl, it is my stage combat-oriented fight show that I do that is a love letter to professional wrestling storytelling. I absolutely love it. It is amazing. Silas is going to be a part of it. That's right, I am. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's all tax-deductible because it's through Fractured Atlas, so give us money so that we can hit each other with ladders. Yes. I feel no, like that's what I need to that. do. That's what I need to say. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionwards.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. I'm gonna keep this in. This is gonna be the. This is gonna be the post credit. Yeah. It's like a cat. It, <laughs> we're gonna have some weird ASMR today because I just started recording while you were touching it, and I'm gonna eat oh. turkey on the mic. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> we're just gonna take a moment. Ah, <laughs> uh, because I burped and then doors, and it's all good. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.